0: Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. I don't know about you guys. I've had a crazy weekend, a crazy morning, but um, it's good to be in the house of the Lord with you all this morning. So if you want to stand with me, um, our call to worship this morning will be from Psalm 89, where we're reminded of the faithfulness of God. If you'll repeat after not repeat after me, but I'll read the bold section if you'll read after me. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations.
1: Let Let the heavens praise your wonders, wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the
0: assembly of the Holy ones. You want to turn with me to song number four? We'll sing Rock of Ages.
1: Rock of Ages. Wrong
2: of yourself as going what are with all these rules what are with all these regulations and you may be thinking there is no way I can do all these and that's kind of the point we can't do all these and uh, even with the sacrifices which were temporary um, they still had to every year they had to go back and they had to atone for these sins that they've, they've, they've done to the Lord there are some who call it a creator-creation distinction. There's a, we've lost the understanding, I think, to a, in a certain point, of, of God's holiness and how we are not holy. And um, what we find in, in Matthew five seventeen, these laws that are, are shown in Leviticus, Leviticus as well as other places are not done away with. There's still purpose in them. But Jesus himself says, I came not to abolish these laws, but to fulfill these laws. So Christ has fulfilled these laws that we have no way of being able to do. And I think that's uh, that's the whole point of this Leviticus here. If you read along with me on Leviticus 11, 45, 44 through 45. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate and set apart yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy for I am holy. Would you all join me in prayer here? Almighty, Almighty, eternal God and Father, we confess confess and and acknowledge unto you that we are full of sin all our life. We do not fully believe your word, nor follow your holy commandments. Remember your goodness, and for your name's sake, be gracious unto us, and forgive us our
0: iniquity, which is great. Amen. If you want to turn with me to song number two, we'll sing a great hymn, In Christ Alone.
2: 6-29 gives us that assurance that promise that has been promised to us through all, all, all the ages. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ. And you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the assurance that you give us through your word, Lord, that that we are are children of you, Lord, not because of, of whose children we are, but because by faith you have made us all one in you, in Jesus' name. Thank you. So in the Baptist Catechism, question number 37, the Confession of Faith. The question is asked, what is justification? Read with me the answer, if you would, please. Justification, justification is an act of God's free grace, Mary, wherein He pardons all our sins and, and accepts us as righteous, righteous in his sight. Only
0: for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Amen. If you want to turn with me, or you can be seated. <laughs> if you want to turn with me, in your Bibles to Acts chapter ten, we'll be continuing our study through the book of Acts. And for those of you that have been with us, or Moving, I don't know if you'd say fast or slow, depending on where you've been before, but we've been in um, the book of Acts, and like I say every week, we've been trying to understand the purpose for the book of Acts. There's a lot of ideas out there about what the book of Acts is about, why it was written, and how we can apply this book, and so we have to understand why the book is written in order for us to be able to apply it correctly. So there's lots of debates, lots of discussion about what is this book of Acts about. And like we've said every week, it is not only the acts of men or the acts of the Spirit, but it is the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. And we get that from verse 1 where the writer of Acts, Luke, talks about the gospel of Luke. And he says in that gospel he wrote all that Jesus began to do and teach. And we've talked about the implication of that. Is that the book of Acts is about all that Christ continues to do and teach? That He's ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father, He's poured out His Spirit, and He is building His church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And so we've seen in the book of Acts this pan out. The gospel has gone to Jerusalem, first of all, at Pentecost. The Spirit has been poured out. And then we've talked about the Gospel going out to Judea and even the Samaritans. And We've looked most recently in Acts chapter 10 about how the gospel is now going to the Gentiles and how amazing this is and how Peter, last week we talked about Peter being given this vision (laughs) of a sheet being lowered down from heaven with all these different animals on it and a voice tells Peter to rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's sort of confused by this. He sort of pushes back on this idea and We talked about the implications of this. There's this um, Gentile Roman centurion, uncircumcised, and his name is Cornelius. And we see the gospel go to him. And so there's this, a lot of discussion about this. And so we've been talking about this in Acts chapter 10. We've seen this vision given to Peter that it is no longer clean or unclean. It is about God has made all things clean. In this new covenant, there is... Um, the sense in which all are welcomed in, both Jew and Gentile, and that this was the plan from the beginning. This wasn't a new plan of God. This was promised in the Old Testament. We really talked about that last week, and we see it come to fulfillment in the New Testament. So last week, we sort of focused on this idea of Gentile inclusion, and that's us, right? I don't Maybe there's some people that have Jewish heritage, but for the most part, we're all Gentiles in this room, right? And so this has big implications for us, but this week we're mostly going to talk about this idea of the Mosaic law being, the fancy word is abrogated or taken away, right? Because that's what's happening. If We'll, we'll read this passage um, in a minute, but it's interesting. A New Testament passage talks about an Old Testament passage and says that it's no longer authoritative, and that should cause us to kind of raise our eyebrows a little bit. Is it okay for a New Testament passage to say that this part of the Old Testament no longer applies? And does that mean none of the Old Testament applies? Is it not important, like we talked about last week? Can we sort of just unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament? Can we just leave it as a kind of dusty part of our Bible that we don't touch? Or does it have ramifications for what we believe? So we'll get into all that today. But hopefully we'll see the implications of this, And really the biggest implication, why did Christ have to come? Why is it important that Christ came? And how does this affect how we see the Old Testament and the Mosaic Law? So we won't read all of chapter 10 because that would take a little bit of time. But I just wanted to go to a couple passages in chapter 10 so we have an idea of what we're going to talk about today and really focus in on that. So we talked about this vision given to Peter. And we see this in verse 13. There's this sheet that comes down from heaven and a voice says to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And so we see Peter sort of push against this. He says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. So we see Peter end up going to this man cornelius this gentile roman centurion and he meets with him and if you want to look with me at verse 28 in acts chapter 10 we see to sort of see this most pointedly expressed in verse 28 and he says to them this is peter speaking to the group that's gathered at cornelius's house he says you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation So Peter's recognizing how crazy and outlandish this is that a Jew is meeting with a Gentile. But then he says this, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And then if we go to verse 44, we see Peter proclaim this gospel to the Gentiles It is no longer just for the Jews or the Samaritans, but also for the Gentiles. And we see in verse 44 that the Holy Spirit falls on them also. And that the people were amazed because the gift of the Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So this is again further emphasizing how amazing this is. And then if you want to turn just a couple pages or flip to your phone to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, we see that as time goes on, this idea of the Gentiles being included sort of upsets some that they don't have to be circumcised in order to join the church. And so we see this kind of come to a point in Genesis 15. It says this, and some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, weak and needy. Many of us have had maybe crazy, difficult weeks, maybe sick loved ones or hurting family members. Maybe some of us have been inconvenienced in deep and heavy ways by This virus and the implications of that. But as we come here this morning, Lord, wherever we're at, whether we've had a good week or a difficult week, I pray that you would, by your spirit alone, open up the eyes of our hearts to see the depths and riches of your word. And that while on the surface, this passage might seem insignificant to us here today, I pray that you would, again, open our eyes to see the glory of Christ the glory of the gospel and the glory of salvation by faith alone, not by works of the law. Would you give us the grace this morning to not only hear that word, but to believe it and to receive it and rest in it this morning. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So, kind of an interesting passage, right? And again, a very heavy and deep passage. And one that we might not be familiar with, one that you're not going to see a lot of posters of, you know, inspirational posters or quotes or things like this. But this is the Word of God. We need to remember that. And so we are to stand under it and submit to it and know that it is written for edification and our benefit. So last week we saw these Gentiles are included, that the family of God is no longer based on procreation, the line that you come from, but it's based on proclamation it is based on believing, it is based on faith, not family, as Daryl said. And so we see that the people in this book of Acts are amazed at this. And so we should feel the weight of that also, that these people are amazed that the gospel is going even to the Gentiles. And this might be hard for us to kind of feel the weight of this because we are not, I mean, we're not in this first century, right? So it's hard for us to feel the weight of this, but These people would have been holding to the Old Testament Mosaic law, which said, if you are not circumcised, you cannot be in this body. That to not be circumcised is to be cursed, is to be cut off. And so for someone to enter this church, this new covenant church, without this would have been shocking. It would have been shocking. A discontinuity from the Old Testament to the New. And many will look at this passage and, like I said, point out that difference. That, look, the New Testament says one thing and the Old Testament says something different. They're in contradiction. And so maybe you've talked to an atheist or an unbeliever that says, see, your Bible is contradictory, it can't be trusted, it can't be believed. And they would even go further and maybe say, maybe your God changes. Maybe he was happy here, but he was mad then. And what is this God, right? What is this God of the Bible? And so this has important ramifications for what we believe and why we believe it. And even more so, how we understand that we are justified by faith alone, not by works of the law. So we're going to look at three things today. We're going to try to answer this question of what law? What law are we talking about here? Why the law? Why did the law come? And thirdly, why the Christ? Why did Christ need to come? So what law are we talking about? Why the law? And then why did Christ come? So firstly, what law? And so it's important to understand this. What law? So um, the scripture talks about two types of law. There's both the moral law and what we would call positive law. The moral law and positive law. And maybe some of us haven't heard this distinction before, but I think it's helpful. And hopefully we'll see why. The moral law is binding on all people at all times. It is, comes from the very nature of God. It is who he is. It is binding on all people at all times. So us, as made in the image of God, it is written on our heart, right? And we know some of these things to be intuitive. And this is summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments. So we see both love for God and love for neighbor. So in the first four commandments, we see our duty towards God, to love him, to worship him, to reverence his name. And then in the last six, we see our duty towards our fellow man, right? So this is God's moral law. And it's important to distinguish these, and hopefully we'll see why in a little bit. So this is God's moral law. It's not arbitrary. These aren't things that change. They come from the very character and nature of God. And second, there's this thing called positive law. And like I said, this might be a new category, but this idea of positive law. This is law that is instituted for a specific time period, for a specific people, usually under a specific covenant. So a good example of this is Adam in the garden, right? God is speaking to Adam, and he says, You can eat of any tree that you want, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Wow. Does that apply to me and you today? Is there some secret tree in the Middle East that if you eat of it, you'll die, right? No. It's, it was for Adam for a time, and we know that he failed, and so that was taken away. It was a positive law. It was on top of the Ten Commandments. Another example of this is the Mosaic Law, right? Why do we not have to be circumcised in order to enter the church? Why can we eat bacon and pork and all these delicious things? Because they were part of Mosaic law, but they were positive. They were for that people in the land under that Mosaic covenant, and we are not under that. So we can say with confidence that we are speaking, and what Peter is referencing is this positive law this law that is now taken away. The New Testament has come and said, Christ has come. This positive law is taken away. There's no longer clean or unclean in the eyes of God, whether it's food or people, Jew or Gentile, all, as Daryl read, all are one in Christ by faith. So this is the law that we're talking about. And you can see in places like Ephesians 2, it says that with Christ coming this dividing wall of hostility was taken down there's no longer Jew or Gentile we are one in Christ and this is what God is telling Peter with this vision of the sheet and the animals and Peter's confused about this but this is the law that we're talking about the positive law of God and so the next question that we might ask is okay why would God make a law and then take it away what's the purpose of that law and i think that's a legitimate question that we should ask because it's in the scripture, right? And it was binding on those people for that time. And so we can think in our heads, why would God do that? Why would he institute a law and then take it away? So that's our second point. So we've looked at what the law is, the difference between moral and positive, and then we'll ask this question why then the law? Why circumcision? What was circumcision? It was a removal of the foreskin from the male reproductive organ, and it was a marking of that people. These people come from Abraham, and if you want to be in this community, you need to be marked in the same way that Abraham was. And there was also dietary restrictions, right? There was no pork, shellfish, you could not have mixed garments, all these things. And so this question of why would God do this? Why would God, in a sense, separate? The people from Abraham and the the rest of the nations. Why would God do that? What was the purpose of that? And the people in the first century had misunderstood that. And we read that in Acts 15. That the people of that time had misunderstood the purpose of the Mosaic law. And we call these people the Judaizers. If you've heard that phrase before, the Judaizers. They were the ones that came in and said, It is not just about faith in Christ. It's about faith plus works. It's about you must do this. You must do that. You must submit to Moses. And in Acts 15, we see you must be circumcised. And so we see later in books like Galatians, where these Judaizers had crept into the church. They had snuck in and they had preached what Paul calls a different gospel. One that is both saying you must believe they were okay with Jesus, but they said you must also do this. These works of the law. And they also thought that the law made them better, right? That God chose Israel, the Jewish people, because they were special or better than everyone else. And they also thought that if they followed these laws laid down in the Old Testament, that they would be holy. So they thought that external obedience equaled internal holiness. And they had misunderstood the intention of the law. And so in the book like Galatians and even in Acts, we see the apostles confronting this idea that the law externally obeyed, somehow made people internally holy. It was exactly the opposite, as Daryl mentioned, that the purpose of the law was actually, as Paul says, to imprison everyone under sin, to increase transgressions, as we read in Romans 5. It was to show the people that they could not keep all these commands, all 600-some commands. They could not keep them. No matter how hard they tried, no matter how hard they gritted their teeth, that they could not keep the law. And there was a second aspect to this Mosaic Law, right? It prevented things like marrying the Canaanites, marrying the people of the land. What was the intention of this? It was to preserve the seed, preserve the seed the offspring of Abraham because God had made a promise to first Adam and Eve in the garden he said the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and later in Genesis 15 and 12 he promises to Abraham that one will come from your line that will bless the nations and he even says to King David that someone will come from you the son of David will sit on God's throne forever and have a kingdom that will have no end. So the point of this Mosaic law in keeping the people of Israel separate from the Canaanites and the people of the land was to preserve this line. To preserve this line. And so far from the law being a means of justifying the people, it was actually to show them their need for the perfect lawgiver, this seed of the woman, this seed of Abraham. So what do we see? So the third point this morning is why then the Christ. So we've looked at the law. We've looked at why the law and finally we'll look at why the Christ. So the purpose of the law is to show people their need. Not to make them holy but to their need to have someone outside of themselves obey this law. The need for better sacrifices, for a better temple, for a better priest for a better law keeper than themselves. And so this is where we come to the Christ. So does anybody know the first verse in the New Testament? Let's turn there. Matthew 1, 1. Matthew 1, 1. The first words in the New Testament are this. The book of the genealogy. Maybe this is where we all space out, right? (laughs) Oh no, (laughs) genealogies. Skip that. Okay, where does it end? No, this is important. This is the first words of the New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of David, the son of Abraham. The first words in the New Testament are telling us That the seed is here. The offspring of Abraham that will bless the nations has come. The son of David that will sit on the throne of David and rule forever has come. That this line has been preserved. The point of the Mosaic law is now done away with because the seed has come. And we see in Christ's life and death and resurrection um, that he has fulfilled the law. That... All these things that pointed to this Christ to come are now done away with. And my favorite verse maybe in the New Testament is Galatians 4, 4 through 5. And some of you have probably heard, heard me quote it before and maybe you're annoyed with me or maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. But it says this in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son and it says three things born of woman this is what we call the incarnation this is the son of god eternal invisible taking on human flesh we're approaching christmas time this is where we celebrate more pointedly the incarnation right born of a woman so it's not just the incarnation but it's pointing to this seed of the woman this one that will come from Adam and Eve, from Abraham, from David, and crushed the head of the serpent. So God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Then what's it say next? Born under the law. So Christ came humbly. Not above the law. He didn't come to a king with a palace. He didn't come born into a royal family. He was lowly, humble, in a manger. But not just that. He was born under the law. Because he was made in the image of God as we are, he was born under the law. He had to fulfill it. And that's exactly what he did. And that's where we get to the third part, where he came to redeem those who were under the law. So this is the purpose of Christ's coming, to not only be the seed of the woman that crushes the serpent's serpent's head, but also the one born under the law that redeems those who are under the law. And so we can see that this is by faith alone that we're saved. It's by believing in this one, this Christ. This is why Christ came. Not to um, do away with the law, as Daryl said, but to fulfill it. And as we read in our um, catechism this morning, this is what justification is. It is our sin forgiven and righteousness given to us. And that is why both... Jews and Gentiles are welcomed into this new covenant community. It is no longer based on what family you're from, what line you're from. If you hold to these mosaic rites and laws, if you're circumcised or not, if you eat pork or not, that all that have faith are in the family of God. So hopefully some of that made sense. And we're going to take a step back and try to apply that to our lives, right? So we've tried to rightly understand this passage and it's then and only then that we can actually apply it to our lives. So, three things this morning. Three things. The first, that God does not change. That God does not change. We call this, the fancy word for this is, the immutability of God. The fact that God is not mutable like us, right? What, do, what happens to us? We change. We have emotions. You know, one day we're happy, one day we're sad. One day we... Feel merciful, the next day we don't. God is not like that. God does not change. And we have this confirmed in Malachi 3 6, where he says, I, the Lord, do not change. And so we have to confess this because, like I said, many people will come against us and say, Look, your New Testament says one thing, your Old Testament says something different. They're in contradiction, and so therefore, I cannot believe these scriptures. And we can say, that's not true. We can say, God does not change. Yes, things were put in place for a purpose, but that purpose was fulfilled. And so the purpose for those things is taken away. So it's not God changing. It is God fulfilling his promises. And as ministers of the gospel, this is what we proclaim. We proclaim both law and gospel. And if God changes, then we have a problem, right? Because God could be happy one day and merciful one day and then just the next and wrathful the next. But we have to uphold both, both law and gospel. What do I mean? We have to proclaim the law. Not the positive law, not the Mosaic law, but the moral law of God. This is God's standard. It does not change. It is binding on all people at all times. And we fall short of that. As we confess this morning, we are sinners. And so God's law does not change. And we are guilty of that law. And so Christ's coming is not a lowering of the bar of God's law. It is actually a raising of it, saying this is the perfect standard. And when we see Christ and his holiness, we see how unholy we are. So this is important because God does not change. But secondly... Christ has freed us from the law. Christ has freed us from the power of the law. What do I mean? Sounds like you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth, Kendall. This is what we profess, both law and gospel. This is the gospel that Christ has come. That he's not lowered the bar, right? What if Christ came and did this? He said, okay, the law is actually down here. It was up here at one point, but now I'm going to bring it down here so you guys can jump over it. So it's okay if you have this pet sin over here and this secret sin that nobody knows about. It's okay if you have that. That's not what Christ's coming means. It's not a lowering of the bar. It's actually a perfect standard of the bar. And so we might feel despair. We might feel, oh no, I cannot meet that perfect standard. I cannot love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength every second of every day and never fail. Or love my neighbor as myself we often fail this but this is what christ came to do as we talked about in galatians he came to fulfill the one he was the only righteous one and as Hebrews said tempted in every way that we are yet without sin this is the glory of the gospel not that christ came to be a good example i think we can often do this sometimes And we might not even be aware of it. But we see Christ, we see his life in the gospel, and we say, look, Jesus is a great example. And oftentimes, when we proclaim the gospel, this is what we say. Be like Jesus. Just be like him. And that's true. We should be like Jesus. But when Christ is only a good example of how to live, that actually becomes another law. Because we can't be like Jesus. We are not... We're not perfect. We are not divine. And so when we only see Christ as an example, it actually becomes another law. Just do this. Just be like Jesus. Just do that. And we feel the weight and pressure of this, that we cannot actually do this. (laughs) And so the glory of the gospel is not just be like Jesus. It is Christ has done it. The law says do. Do this. Do this. Be holy as I am holy. Do this, do, do, do. The law says do, the gospel says it's done. The gospel says it's done. The gospel says that Christ has done it. He has lived the perfect life that me and you and anyone in the world could not do. And not only that, He's suffered the punishment that our sin earned. What does it say in Romans? The wages of sin is death. That's what we've earned. We haven't earned right standing with God. We've earned his wrath. But he sent his son to not only take the wrath that we deserve, but fulfill the law perfectly on our behalf. This is how Christ has freed us from the law. The law is no longer a standard that says you need to meet this. Christ has met it. And so that is what faith is, is putting our faith and trust in God. And this brings us to our third point. We've seen... The fact that God does not change and that this is good news. We've seen that Christ has freed us from the law by fulfilling it for us. And finally, that justification is by faith alone. Justification is by faith alone. What did the people of the time come in and say? You not only need to have faith in Christ, but you need to be circumcised. And how often do we do that with other things, right? Right. I don't hear a lot of people saying that today. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you guys know some different characters. But how often do we add things to the law or to um, faith? You need to do this. You need to attend this many things. You need to do this. You need to do that. And this was a big point in the Reformation in the 15 and 1600s. How are people made right with God? The Catholic Church came in and said, you need to do this. You need to pay these things. You need to do this. And the reformers came in and said, it is by grace alone through faith alone that one is justified. And we talked about justification this morning. What is it? It is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous, not by our work, but by the work of another, namely Christ. And so this is the glory of the new covenant, This is the glory of the new covenant that Christ has brought. And I want to read this quote from an author um, named Richard Barcelos. He says this. In the new covenant, these things are transformed. Transformed. That God does this work. It's not a changing of God. It's a transformation. Listen. The house of God is transformed from a geographic temple to a worldwide church. The sacrifices are transformed from Old Covenant priestly acts to our bodies as living sacrifices. The Sabbath is transformed from Saturday to Sunday, the day of the new creation. The people of God are transformed from a typical Old Testament nation of people to both believing Jew and Gentile. And the law is no longer written On tablets of stone but the heart of God's people this is what Jeremiah says his promise of the new covenant I'll no longer write the law on tablets of stone but hearts of flesh this is what the Spirit of God has done we read this morning that in Acts 10 the Spirit falls both on the Jews and the Gentiles and writes the law on their heart this is the work of the Spirit So we can say with confidence that we are saved by faith alone, but our faith is never alone, right? The work of the Spirit of God in our hearts changes our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. We no longer reject God's law. We want to obey God's law. We want to love God. We want to love our neighbor. This is the glory of the new covenant. And we're not doing that to earn anything from God, but because We've graciously received this gift of righteousness in Christ that we want to follow and obey God's law. So this is the good news of the gospel that Christ has come by faith alone we're saved, not by works of the law. So as you go out this week, remember that trust in Christ alone and as we're tempted to trust in ourselves, to look at our works and see if we measure up enough, may we run to Christ and may we have confidence going forward that our faith and our Justification is sure that nothing can take it away, that Christ has come and we have hope in Him. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have sent your Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. You did this for us and for our salvation. May our hope this morning be in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. We need your help this morning. We are tempted by our flesh, by Satan, and by the world to look to every other thing. But may we be reminded this morning of your faithfulness, of your unchangingness and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you help us to trust and receive and rest in all that Christ has done this morning? And would we look forward to that day when you will save us eternally, where we will be with you forever. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want to stand with me, we'll sing song number 13. doxology.
1: Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
0: grace and peace as you go from here.